You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode lucky number 13, recorded in October 2011. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. And Sandy, this is indeed lucky number 13 uh, for our show numbers. And it's lucky because we promised the audience first uh, a month ago that we were going to make this an all-request show. So you were responsible for calling in and writing in with questions for for us and really for Sandy that she could respond to and begin to uh, answer the questions you've had as this show has gone on over the last 12 episodes. And Sandy, it's exciting because we have a number of questions in front of us today. Great. So let's just jump right in and see how many we can answer. Okay, great. So I'm going to jump right in. And our first question here today, oh, by the way, uh, you as we start going through uh, questions here, if our questions today and Sandy's answers to these questions generate more questions for you, you'll want to email those to us as well because we want to keep the dialogue going and keep learning how we can uh, educate and and really raise your awareness around the issues in human trafficking. And so you can get a question to us one of two ways. The first way is to email that question and that email address to send questions to is gcwj at vanguard.edu, and that's for the Global Center for Women and Justice, uh, housed here at Vanguard University. And the other way, Sandy, is folks can reach us by phone as well. You can call 714-556-3610, extension 2242, and leave us a voicemail if no one answers, and we'll get back to you. And we'll have a few voicemails to share here in just a few minutes. Uh, but our first question actually came in through email. Uh, Kathy emailed us at the gcwj at vanguard.edu email address. And she says, Dear Mr. Stoviak and Ms. Morgan, uh, first, I'd like to thank you for providing the podcast Ending Human Trafficking. I've listened to the first three, and so far they've been very informative. Uh, there are very little resources that I found on the subject in the media, and it's been difficult to convey the message to others. I plan to share these podcasts with others in hope of creating more awareness. Kathy, thank you so much for, for that and the feedback, and uh, thank you so much for sharing this with others. And she has a question also. She says, I have a question. Uh, while there has been research done on the victims and rehabilitation is slow and, and rehabilitation is slowly becoming more available to them. Um, has there been similar research done on the buyers and how to rehabilitate, rehabilitate them? And she puts buyers in quotes, of course, uh, for as long as there is demand for services, there will be someone to supply it. I find this similar to the situation with drugs. We focus a lot of time on trying to remedy the problem instead of preventing it. I do understand, uh, these are very big problems and difficult to control. Sandy, I know you have some thoughts on this. I could do an entire podcast on this. First of all, let's think about who are the buyers. It's pretty easy when we're talking about commercial sexual exploitation. Um, victims of modern day slavery who are in sex trafficking, we know the buyers are purchasers of commercial sex acts. And so 
to answer that question, first of all, we have a number of places in the U.S. where they have launched first offender programs so that the um, Johns, which is kind of slang for the sex purchaser, are given the opportunity to take a class where they will be able to learn more about the underlying issues that are involved in the area uh, that drives um, sex trafficking. And by doing so, then they're able to eventually get this off of their record. So there's a lot of motivation for those first offender programs. And they're called, often called in a um, colloquial terminology of John schools. Um, mm-hmm. There's not a lot of them yet, but it is a growing trend and it is helpful. It's not enough. We need to be doing other kinds of prevention for buyers of commercial sex. And that begins with entering um, in, in integrating um, this kind of issue in sex education classes, um, starting with um, junior highs and high school students in our college programs. We already see it in our military. They do um, zero tolerance training, but um, we just have to keep hitting that kind of program. The first offender program is less about prevention as much as it is about helping people make decisions to make changes in their lifestyles. The recidivism rates are conflicting depending on whose reports that you're reading, but generally there is a greater awareness of the cost of this to the victim. And so there is a sense that when we engage the buyer in being responsible, socially responsible, that we're going to gain some ground. Um, Others have made comments, and I was at a conference where I heard someone say, well, they go to the class, and then afterwards, they're just more careful about getting caught, Um, Mm. which is why we can't just trust um, these kinds of programs, but we really have to work on integrating this so that we change what is culturally acceptable and we have um, a better understanding of human rights. Now, the other part of this issue of uh, the buyers and rehabilitation, um, that gets a little closer to home because part of the demand for human trafficking is to pay less for services um, that might be in hotel or restaurants for less um, wages, Uh, It could be to buy cheap products like cheap chocolate. And you've heard us talk about the cocoa protocol and the trafficking in persons report that shows us that there are still child slaves on the West Coast of Africa and in other places so that we can have cheap chocolate. So how do we rehabilitate consumers here that drive the market by how they vote at the cash register? That's a a media responsibility. It's a consumer responsibility. Here in California, we're very fortunate because there is a new law that will take effect January 2012 that will require corporations to um, create reports that show their transparency in telling us what the supply chain is in their product. Oh, interesting. And for me, that's going to help me learn to think differently about the the things that I purchase every day. Hmm. Well, it, 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 there's so much here, uh, Sandy. We could spend an entire episode on this. And in fact, uh, one other resource for Kathy, and Kathy, thank you again for sending in this question, is to take a look back at episode number 11. This is episode 13. But in episode 11, we talked about the front lines of human trafficking. 
And that's also a great resource for some of this, uh, some look at that what we would call the demand side of human trafficking. And we're going to get even more detail this in some uh, in a couple of our future episodes here. And so let's move on to our uh, next question, Sandy. Okay. And the next question actually came in uh, by voicemail. And this is from Catherine, I believe. And she has a questions, uh, question in regards to uh, the, uh, the term smuggling. So let's uh, hear her question. Hi, this is Catherine. And I was wondering what the difference is between smuggling and human trafficking. Thank you. Okay, that's a great question, and it's an area that is very fuzzy for a lot of people. Um, Many times the victims that we have here in California have come across the border under circumstances that are very fraudulent. They've been offered a job, and they are in a situation where there there is no job for them, there is no um, option, and so they take the risk of agreeing to come across the border illegally. And when they arrive on this side of the border, the difference, the big difference between human trafficking and smuggling is who is in control on this side of the border. Because smuggling is a crime against the state, against the government, Mm -hmm. and there is a criminal penalty attached to that. Um, When you are um, brought across the border and you pay someone and then you go and and uh, pursue whatever your purpose is, uh, you are guilty of um, avoiding, evading the border controls. However, if you've been lured here under false promises and you've been um, lured into some sort of debt bondage where um, we'll bring you here without you having to pay us anything and then you'll work it off, then you are... Uh, according to our understanding of fraud, you are then in a debt bondage situation and you're under the control of another party. And that falls within the uh, realm of the Trafficking Victims Protection Act. And when you're um, then forced to work that off, when they add interest to it, um, when you're unable to pay that off, then it becomes more and more clear that this was fraud. Um, the the threats that are made against these kinds of victims are, uh, we'll report you, you'll go to prison, you'll never see your family again, those kinds of things. And consequently, it, it becomes a human rights issue now, and a person is a slave, and now it's human trafficking. Reminds me of Maria's story that we heard uh, a couple months ago on this podcast, Sandy, and, and how many of those factors you just mentioned really played into her story. Right. And she wasn't even, um, and she didn't even come across the border illegally. She came across as a legal immigrant. Yeah. Amazing how many different facets there are to this, this challenging issue. Mm. So let's jump ahead to uh, our next question. Thank you again, Catherine, for that question. So we have a question here that came in uh, from email from Cheryl. And Cheryl asks, Sandy, is trafficking mostly a female problem? You know, that's a common misconception. And I think it partly comes from the aspect of so much of media that reports on human trafficking reports on sex trafficking, which the majority of those victims are female, Mm -hmm. although there are also um, male victims, especially children. However, when you think about this as a 
uh, female issue, um, we have to go back to the first question about buyers. Um, the buyers, even if you're talking about sex trafficking, tend to be predominantly male. So is it a female problem, even if we're talking about sex trafficking? No. And even when you look at the breakdown of um, what kind of victims have been rescued here in Orange County, the last time I talked to our victim advocate, um, her report to me was that about 60% female and 40% male. So the, the gender issues are not as important as the socioeconomic issues in addressing human trafficking. Sandy, are there any statistics on the offenders, the traffickers themselves, as far as the breakdown of gender, male, female? Not reliable. Um, We look at uh, traffickers, though, and in our minds, we see a big, burly, dark, um, sinister male with Mm -hmm. um, lots of muscle. Right. But uh, when you begin to look at the cases locally here in, in Southern California, you have um, great examples of trafficking of rings, trafficking uh, traffickers who are female. And the case in Long Beach of a residential care facility that was run by a woman, and a woman was in charge of um, purchasing workers and did so as she ran her residential care facility. She's in prison now. We also see the case with Shima that we've talked about before, and both the husband and the wife were considered and convicted of trafficking. So mm. it's um, it's not exclusively the, the stereotype that we think about. When I think of this question, Sandy, as far as it being a female problem, it's it's just as much a male problem as it is a female problem. And I, I like I think of this as a human problem. This right. is a this is a human issue, regardless of your your gender, your geography, even to some extent, you know, socioeconomic status. I mean, anybody could be a victim. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's it's a human rights violation um, in our own state, in our nation, and globally. So Cheryl actually sent in a second question, and she also wanted to know how could I bring this issue to my church. There are so many great resources out there for you. And in fact, um, I would recommend that you go to our website and log on to um, gcwj.vanguard.edu, where we have links with resources, particularly for um, the community. Um, You can also log on and uh, find the recent WebEx we did for engaging the community in the battle against human trafficking. It's very appropriate training for a local church. And you partnered with uh, a governmental organization to do that as well, Sandy, am I correct? Yes, that um, that was a WebEx that was offered by the Rescue and Restore campaign in Washington, D.C. for it with the administration of um, family and children. Mm, Okay, great. And folks can get that on the Global Center website? Absolutely. And that address again, in case you missed it, is gcwj.vanguard.edu. And that'll take you right to the center's website at Vanguard. And, And like Sandy said, there's a number of resources on that page. Great. Okay, so let's jump ahead to our next question. And uh, our next question actually also came in by phone, Sandy. And we have a voicemail here from Sarah. And uh, and I think, Sandy, this is a really 
important question because this is something that is a challenge when people are trying to help and uh, help with this issue. Here we go. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I have a question in regards to human trafficking. I was wondering, um, since I've been reading about doing surveillance on suspected trafficking sites like massage parlors, should I talk to the police before I do that, or can I take matters in my own hands? Thank you. So she's wanting to know, can she take matters into her own hands if she knows of issues out there? And I, I know you have probably some strong advice about this, Andy. Well, and in my experience working with our Orange County Human Trafficking Task Force, our law enforcement partners um, strongly discouraged that. And they explained several things to me when they said, no, we don't want civilians doing surveillance. Um, first of all, a lot of times the kind of surveillance that needs to be done is undercover work. And of course, they aren't going to list that they're doing that. So if you come along because you think this is a great site, this might be a possible um, massage parlor that's a front for sex trafficking. Um, Chances are law enforcement has also identified that and has um, an undercover operation possibly going on. So you might actually um, impede the investigation and they lose all of the time and resources that they've invested in that particular investigation. So you absolutely don't want to do that. Secondly, it has been um, determined that it is not a safe thing, especially for unarmed civilians to take this kind of matter into their own hands. Um, The people that are the perpetrators have resources, they have weapons, um, they usually have security measures to guard their product. And so they are not going to take kindly to your interference. And if you... um, do your investigation and then you call the, because I've had this this scenario presented to me, well, we're just going to go and look and then we're going to call the 888-3737-888 number. And what happens when they get too close to the situation, they went to do their own investigation, they decided to kind of try out going inside and asking a few questions. Um, this tipped the people off running the illicit operation and they moved before our investigators could get there. Mm. And then finally, as far as safety, um, it is not safe, especially for civilians to do this kind of operation. And our law enforcement has training. They, they have teams. They often have counter surveillance teams. They have to put a lot of resources and protocols into place so that when they finish their investigation, they have a prosecutable case because our criminal justice system is built on the coercive use of force. And so when you do an investigation and you haven't followed those protocols and those regulations that are part of due process in our legal system, there is no way to prosecute and put the bad guy away. And that's a big problem because we want a prosecutable case because eventually people will um, be more careful not to do things that they'll get penalized for. You and I, if we see a black and white car, we take our foot off the gas because that's how our society works through the coercive use of force to keep everybody in line with the rules. So 
it sounds like if Sarah has knowledge of this, and it sounds like she might have something going on, she shouldn't be taking matters in her own hands. What can she do, though, Sandy, or, or what should she do? Well, again, the National Human Trafficking Resource Center hotline is not just for giving tips, but it's also for calling if you have a question. And if you happen to know that there is a group in your neighborhood going out and they're getting a little bit over the the line on what they're doing, then calling and letting the people know there, they'll contact the local law enforcement to reach out to that group. And that number again? 888-3737-888. And if you're a regular listener of the show, hopefully you know that number by heart already, and it's an important number to have at your disposable, uh, disposal to know, disposable, uh, disposal to know so that if you do run into these situations that you're able to reach out and really um, utilize the system that's already been established, right, Sandy? Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, thank you so much for that question, Sarah. Hope that gets you. Hope that helps you out, and hope you reach out to that hotline for resources to get law law enforcement involved. So, Sandy, our next question here is from Jackie, and Jackie emailed us at gcwj at vanguard.edu. And she actually sent some information, uh, an abstract of a study that was done. And I think you may have actually, you may have some familiarity with the study um, in regards to Native American women. And she uh, sent a little overview of the study and then asked, a, uh, asked uh, you know, are, Nat- are Native American women at a higher risk for being trafficked? Well, I'm really interested in this particular report. Um, this is available if you want to read the entire report at prostitutionresearch.com. And the one of the lead in investigators is Dr. Melissa Farley. And so uh, I've been following this. I think what you pull from this, because we don't have time to go into uh, a really lengthy discussion, Um, you begin to understand here that women who are in a a marginalized place in their community um, and have fewer resources are going to be more vulnerable. And we've identified that Native American women often fall into that category. Just a few uh, clips very quickly from, from this study. 96% of these women had a history of current or previous homelessness. 96%. Incredible. And 95% wanted to escape prostitution. So it wasn't something they wanted to do. It was very much a result of their lack of resources and no options. It it's very related to their circumstances. And 70% of the women had been lured or tricked into this by someone who had offered them an opportunity, offered to help. And um, as one of the um, interviewees said, they're um, our boyfriends, not pimps, they're our boyfriends. So when we look at this, Um, we begin to see how important understanding um, a person's circumstances are to becoming a contributing factor to their vulnerability and the possibility of them being exploited for commercial sex, which is a form of human trafficking. There are so many different factors that can play a role, uh, Sandy, certainly socioeconomic, 
ethnic background, geography. And I believe we're planning to spend even some more time talking about that on the next episode of kind of what are all some of what are some of those root causes um, Absolutely. That, that we should be aware of that may uh, increase uh, risk factors for an individual or a population. And I, I want to read just a couple of quotes and then we, well, I know we have to answer the next question, but um, these Native American women described prostitution. And so I, I just want their words, be a voice for the voice. I want their words to have mm. um, volume here. They describe it this way. Prostitution was an exchange for drugs and shelter. Prostitution is like suicide. The first time I was 14, he was 40. I went more toward older men because they weren't on top of me as long. It's like incest. No one wants to talk about it. As far as I'm concerned, all prostitution is rape. Just a um, a hard thing to hear. A really hard thing to hear. And Sandy, um, really, I hopefully the by us spending us this time ta- answering these questions that that one less person gets into that situation. I hope so. Yeah, me too. Let's uh, let's take a look at our final question here. And actually, um, our final question is from Catherine again. I think she called in with two questions, okay. and so uh, she called the. Uh, hotline for uh, questions. And just a reminder for folks, Sandy, the number for folks to call if they do have a question. 888-3737-888 is the National Human Trafficking Resource Center. If you want to call and leave a question for our podcast, call me at 714-556-3610, extension 2242. And that's what Catherine did. And here's her question. This is Catherine, and I was wondering what prevention takes place for human trafficking victims and things. Thank you. What prevention takes place? Now, if you go back to episode 11 and the front line, you'll begin to understand why this is such a great question. Prevention. And and we will um, we'll be looking at this in our next podcast more carefully and really explore this and break it down. In the um, interim, for just a couple of minutes here, prevention strategies have to reach out to the root causes. And consequently, just like this story from the Native American women's study, um, we have to figure out why are these women homeless? Why do they need um, uh, so much? Why do they have such great needs? That's what I meant to say. Mm-hmm. And, and then how can we begin to address that? That's a serious type of prevention. Many times we hear that people are doing awareness and that's prevention. And to some extent, public awareness is helpful. But my experience when I was working in Southern Europe, we had a lot of victims who were coming from the Ukraine and Russia and Moldova. And what we discovered was that sending people to do prevention in those countries where poverty and need was so great, that kind of prevention wasn't very successful. We told junior high and high school girls, don't accept that job offer to come and work in a restaurant in Athens, Greece, because it's not really a job offer. Um, The IOM put up big billboards that literally were on the road as you arrived at the airport. 
to get on a plane to bring you to this fake job that you'd been offered. Incredible. But those signs, they weren't believed. And the the if you're desperate, you'll take more risks. And of course, the whole issue we talked about before uh, about adolescence, they have the idea that it's not going to happen to me and I'm going to be able to handle this. So that puts them even more at risk. So prevention strategies have to be more problem-oriented and not just about awareness. Unfortunately, we don't have any more time for questions on this episode, Sandy. We've uh, reached the end of our time already. Wow. Uh, I know, time flies. Uh, however, that doesn't mean you can't still send us questions because we are going to take your questions and we'll answer them on a future show. But before we remind folks of how to reach us with questions, Sandy, any final thoughts uh, based on the questions today or, or final uh, pieces of advice around uh, some of the issues that folks have raised? I think the the summary is that we are just beginning to get our heads around what a huge problem human trafficking is and that it's really a symptom of a systemic problem that has to do with all of us, not just a few of us. And we we all need to figure out what our part is in that. So in our next episode, we're going to look at the roots of the problem. And hopefully by looking at the roots of that the problem and getting a visual and, and more holistic way to, way to look at it, Sandy, we can do some more work around how to prevent this problem from happening in the first place. Absolutely. Well, that's just about wrapping up our time for today. And thank you for taking the time to tune in and to spend some time of studying these issues. Because by studying these issues, you go out into the world as someone who understands more about this and how you can make a difference in a positive and proactive way. And if you have questions for us for future episodes, email us at gcwj at vanguard.edu or the phone number, Nance. Or, uh, 714-556-3610, extension 2242. And we'll see you again in two weeks for our next episode. Thanks, Sandy. Thank you. Thank you.